0: I ran into an interesting article this week entitled, Everyone is Talking About Belonging. What does it really mean? There's an article written by Adrian Liu, a reporter of the Chronicle of Higher Education, and addresses the recent phenomena of colleges hiring high-level executives to focus on, quote, belonging and inclusion. In fact, from the paper's own job postings, roles including the term belonging, quote, nearly tripled year over year. The pinnacle of this being Belmont University in Nashville, Tennessee, hiring a Vice President of Hope, Unity, and Belonging at their college. The world that we see has thoroughly bought the idea that the key to belonging is first and foremost about unquestioning affirmation of the individual. Thinking that belonging is a product of an environment where we are never made uncomfortable in any possible way. But is that really the key to belonging? Is that really what makes us belong in a place or with a people? If you want proof that this is really a lie, let me ask you a quick question. Survey of hands, how many of you are best friends with your car salesman? I'm, sales. okay, yeah, <laughs> I'm not disparaging car salesmen. Okay, yeah, Jennifer, that doesn't count. I'm not disparaging car salesmen. And yet their job is to make you feel comfortable in every possible way so that you'll buy one of their cars. And yet in real life, none of us just want to hear or need someone who will just tell us what we want to hear. And while some of us may find this a little bit ridiculous, what we see in our world, we all resonate with this innate desire to fit, to belong, to be needed, and to be noticed. And too often we pursue this quest only to be disappointed with the various things we've tried. We go from relationship to relationship, boyfriend to girlfriend, across the spectrum, hoping to find someone who will understand us. We transition from job to job, looking for the perfect environment where we'll just fit in. We move from house to house or from town to town, looking for a community of people that will get us and understand us. And we hop from church to church, looking for our fit all in a fruitless attempt to feel like we truly belong, and we end up disappointed over and over again. This morning, I would submit to you that there is only one way, only one place that is designed by God to fulfill that longing in our hearts, the body of Jesus Christ. Let's read 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 12 through 31. nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving honor to the parts that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another." If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ, and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, do all work miracles, do all possess gifts of healing. Do all speak with tongues, do all interpret, but earnestly desire the higher gifts, and I will show you a still more excellent way. Let's pray, and then we'll explain this text in our time together. Lord, we praise you for who you are, for being the all-powerful creator of the universe, and also for condescending to give us your word. Lord, we are overcome by the reality that you have spoken and that we have the opportunity to read that word and study that word together this morning lord guide our time speak through me and give us ears to hear and eyes to see help us to be encouraged and edified by what we read and help us to glorify you in all of it in christ's name amen well as i mentioned we're continuing our study of this arrogant self-serving broken church of corinth this morning Paul has given them instructions related to, quote, when they come together in chapters 11 through 14. Last week, if you were here, my dad began Paul's discussion on spiritual gifts in chapter 12 by describing how spiritual people identify the gifts that God has given them. Now he speaks to how those gifts operate within the body of Christ, within the church of Jesus Christ. First, Paul deals with a fundamental truth of what creates, what constitutes, and what unites the church of Jesus Christ. And we see this truth that I want us to hold on in our time together this morning. Belonging begins when we recognize our unmerited membership in Christ's body. The starting place for belonging is recognizing our unmerited membership in Christ's body. Let me explain what I mean. Look at verse 12, Paul highlights two key realities for us to take into consideration. First, verse 12, our membership in Christ's body. Look at this. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. Paul brings up this illustration of the physical body. And the good thing about a text like this is I don't have to give you a lot of illustrations because the fact of the matter is we all have a walking, talking illustration Paul says, your body is just like the body of Christ, is just like the church of Jesus Christ. And he speaks of the body as the body of Jesus Christ, the church. Now we have to note here that Paul has, I think, two things in mind. First of all, when he speaks of the body, he has the reality of the universal church. The church everywhere, part of the church that we'll be praying for in countries and places where we'll never see those people. The universal big C church. But more specifically, he has the manifest local church in mind. Remember, he's writing to a specific group of people, a specific congregation gathering members of the church. But the second thing we need to note here is what he means by members. When he uses this term, and all the members of the body, what is he talking about? It's easy for us in our modern terminology to assume that he means members as in like members of a church, Members here, as we read through this, just keep in mind that members means parts. It means like our members, our arms, our legs, our organs, whatever the case might be. It's a piece of the body. So when he uses members, that's what he's referring to, and we should keep that in mind as we go through. So keep these two dynamics in mind as we walk through and explain this text. But he says all the members have been brought into unity in one body. They have been grafted in, if you will, to the church, to the body of Jesus Christ. Now, how does this take place? What is the process by which this takes place? Look at verse 13, and he speaks of our receipt of the spirit. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. Now, it's worth noting there's this little statement in the middle, Jews and Greeks, we'll touch on that here in just a moment, but the first phrase and the last phrase of this verse are really to be thought of as parallel lines. They're basically speaking to the same reality, this common baptism experience, and by that he means the baptism or giving of the Spirit, and this common drinking of the Spirit, which is the same sort of idea, this idea that we have received the Holy Spirit at the moment of salvation one time for all, which is precisely why we have manifestations of the Spirit for the common good, like we talked about last week. Now, what is this talking about? Here we go, back to Ephesians. Turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 1. If you're in 1 Corinthians, Ephesians, just a few books to the right in your Bible. Ephesians chapter 1. I love Paul's description of what takes place here, and I want to read that together this morning. Ephesians 1, verse 11 through 14. Paul writes, In him, being Christ, Paul makes very much the same argument in Ephesians that he's making here in 1 Corinthians when he's saying our membership in the body, our involvement, our participation in the body is the result of our personal redemption and receipt of the Holy Spirit. He's saying you cannot fundamentally belong to this body without having accepted the free gift of salvation through Christ and having received the gift of the Spirit. This is important to note, and we'll talk about it here in just a moment. Because sandwiched in between these two phrases, this idea of having been given the Spirit is this reminder of the unity and the diversity that's present in the church. Here he says, Jews and Greeks, slaves and free. Two categories of people that would not mix in the Greek or Roman world. And here he says, this body is composed of these diverse backgrounds. Four. Look at verse 14. He summarizes what he's trying to get them to understand here in verse 14. He says, the body does not consist of one member, but of many. He looks at this church that was expecting everyone else to look just like them and think just like them and act just like them. And anybody who didn't was valued as spiritually less mature. And he says, belonging begins with recognizing the access we have to the body. We recognize that we have each been given a free gift of the Spirit through redemption in Jesus Christ. That was our entrance into the body, not some impressive ability that we brought. That's what we've been studying all the way through the book of 1 Corinthians. He's saying you can take pride in none of what you've been given because it's all a work of the Spirit. And so he says this belonging, you want to understand this belonging to this body, it begins by recognizing that you've been given access through Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit. And how easy this is for us to forget once we've been believers for a while, isn't it? We get so easily trapped in this idea of thinking one of two extremes. Some of us have a tendency to think that we're a part of the church but we're a rather insignificant member. Maybe we're a pinky toe that doesn't really have a vital role in the body. As I understand it, you can have your pinky toe caught off and basically you don't notice the difference, right? Am I right on that, the doctors in the audience? Or maybe your appendix. They're like, I'm a minor appendix. I'm basically a disposable organ, and nobody has any value for me in this body. That's one way we're tended to think. There's other of us that are convinced that we're an elite class. We've been given the sort of spiritual gift that makes us an essential organ that the body couldn't do without. And heaven forbid, if we ever left, the church would probably fall apart. This is the same things that the Corinthians were tempted to believe. They looked at themselves and some of them were going, I have no place in the body. I have no value or contribution. And others were saying, I don't know what the church would do without me. He's going to address both of those issues as we move forward. But the other thing I think that this speaks to is the recognition that if you're sitting here this morning and you have not placed your personal faith in Jesus Christ and your salvation, we are thrilled that you're here. We're glad you've joined us for worship. But one of the fundamental aspects that comes to being a part of the church, belonging in a fundamental way to the church, is accepting Jesus Christ and having received the spirit that he gives. If you want to know what it means to belong to this body of Jesus Christ, to be a part of a family, as Christ refers to it, a building, a body, you have to first understand the gospel and receive the free gift of salvation that you couldn't earn your salvation in and of yourself, but you needed Christ to pay the penalty for your sins, and that is your entrance into the body of Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter how long you attend here. It doesn't matter how you grew up. It doesn't matter what your parents or your friends or anybody else believes. What matters is have you placed your faith in Jesus Christ? That is the start of your belonging in the body of Christ. But we must learn to appreciate our membership in Christ's body You want to begin to understand and see how you belong to Christ's body. You have to see your entrance into it. And flowing from that begins growing another sense of belonging. And we see here in this next section that belonging grows when we celebrate the God-given diversity of Christ's body. Belonging grows as we celebrate the God-given diversity of Christ's body. Now, Paul here in verse 15 presses his initial metaphor of the body, this idea of a human body. And we're going to see four descriptions in these next two sections of the body of Jesus Christ. Four ways that he describes the body that we would do well to take note of. The first here in verses 15 through 17, he says the body is multifaceted. The body is multifaceted. Look at verses 15 through 17. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, or excuse me, if the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? Paul highlights here that in the body of Jesus Christ, every member belongs. The world is running around looking for a way to belong, a way to sense community and to be a part of something. And we see here that once you've accepted faith in Jesus Christ and been grafted into his body, you fundamentally belong, no matter how you feel. Look at his imagery here. He's like, the I cannot say, because I'm an I, I don't belong to the party. Some of us feel that way, right? Right? Or like, because I don't have an upfront ministry, because I can't sing or because I can't preach or because I can't do whatever you might be interested in doing, you're like, I don't have a vital role in the body. And he says, you may feel that way, but every member belongs in the body. Every part is needed. I love his illustration here, right? Like, if the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? This image is pretty graphic, right? If my entire body were converted into one giant eyeball up here, aside from being extremely gross... Like, it wouldn't function very well. I couldn't stand. I couldn't walk. I couldn't preach. I couldn't do anything. Just one giant eyeball hanging out, right? It says every member belongs. If everyone were the same member, it wouldn't make any sense. The body couldn't do anything. And in addition to that, every member contributes. Look at this. In verse 17, if the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? If every part of the body is not realizing their belonging and not contributing to the mission of the church, the body is operating without body parts. We're operating with one eye or with one leg or with one arm. See, so the body can't work unless every part is contributing to the mission of the body. But the body is intended by God to be multifaceted. Every part of the body belongs and every part of the body must contribute. But next, Paul notes a second key aspect of the body, The body is also divinely arranged. Look at verse 18 and 19. But as it is, God arranged the members of the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? This is a critical thing for us to note, and there's at least two implications from this. The first is, if God did the arranging of the body of Jesus Christ, every member fits. God does not make accidents. God does not accidentally arrange things in such a way that they don't fit together. If God has arranged the body, then every part of the body fits together. Again, regardless of how we're feeling, regardless of whether you're like, I don't think I fit, I don't think that I jive with the other parts of the body, he says fundamentally, if God composed it, you fit. You have a place. You have a purpose. But then the second part goes with this, and that is that every member submits. Like, Brad, that's kind of a taboo word. When he says that God arranged the members of the body, each one of them as he chose. If you are a member of this body and you are not connected to the head, which is Jesus Christ, you will never be able to function appropriately. If you are trying to function in your role as a body part while stiff-arming the head and saying, I don't need your direction, I don't need your leadership, I'm going to do my own thing, it's not going to work. Some of us like the idea of Jesus and a relationship with him, but we don't really like the idea of being a part of the body. To to decapitate the body is to result in a dead body. You can't have the head without the body. Every member must submit to Christ as the head of the church in order for the body to function correctly. Every part of the body must be faithful in the place God has placed them. We should seek to be faithful in whatever role, in whatever capacity, with whatever gift God has chosen to give us. And then, here comes the drumbeat again. In verse 20, Paul summarizes and reinforces what he's saying, in case we're not picking up on it. As it is, There are many parts, yet one body. Diverse body parts, unified body under Christ's leadership. Our sense of belonging to to the church, to the body of Christ, will grow as we celebrate the God-given diversity and arrangement of the church. We must learn to celebrate that diversity, not be frustrated by it. See, the, the fact of the matter is, for most of us, We operate all the time in our lives without recognizing what the vast majority of our body parts actually do. I mean, sure, we know our hands and we know our feet and we know the skin and all these sort of things, but I have absolutely no idea what some of the organs in our body do. Until your thyroid quits working, most of us are like, what's a thyroid? Unless your gallbladder starts having trouble, you're like, what's a gallbladder? A few years ago, one of Jenna's uncles had to have an organ transplant. And it isn't until an organ quits working that you realize the effect of that on the rest of the body. The whole body feels it because the whole body needs it. Our sense of belonging to the church will grow as we begin to celebrate the diversity of the gifts God has given His church. But this runs against everything in our culture. It runs against our hyper-individualism and our hyper-expressive individualism in America. But you do recognize, don't you, that denying your belonging, denying your fit in the body in the church of Jesus Christ equals rejecting God's arrangement of it. If you go, I don't have a value to add to the church, I don't have a place in this body, you are saying, God, you don't know what you're doing when you put this thing together. And for some of us, we deny that we're supposed to contribute, that we're supposed to submit to God's leadership, and that is equal to rejecting Christ's headship. When we say, I don't have a role, I don't have a value, we say, God, you didn't know what you were doing when you arranged the body. When we say, I'm not going to contribute, I'm going to hold out, we say, God, you're not really in charge of the body. And we have to be careful of both of these realities. The other thing that I would submit to you is true of a text like this is to recognize that the sort of perfect unity and diversity that our world longs for will never be fully achieved in any society or in any man-made human organization. The sort of unity and diversity that the world longs for ought to be found in one place, the eternal church of Jesus Christ. The reality that if you have faith in Jesus Christ, these relationships will last into eternity. Have you considered that? That every interaction, that every relationship, that every meaningful conversation has an impact on the eternity of the person you're talking to in the church. We must learn to celebrate our God-given diversity in the body. But next, Paul flips the coin to the other side. He moves from the insecurity of saying, I don't fit, to the accusation of saying, you don't fit. Both were present in this Corinthian church. In this next section, he deals with the people that say, oh, in that part, I don't value. That part, I don't like. And I think we see that belonging grows when we foster an indispensable affinity for Christ's body. An indispensable affinity. Paul continues his metaphor here, and we see our final two descriptions of the body. Look at verses 21 through 24, and we see that the body is interdependent. Verse 21, the eye cannot say to the hand... I have no need of you. Do You see how the accusation has shifted from I don't belong to the body to you don't belong to the body. Nor again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. Paul here says the body is interdependent. The body needs each other. Every member is needed in the body. Is needed by both every other member and is needed corporately by the whole church. None of us can operate without the other parts and we as a whole cannot operate without the other parts. And I love his note here. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. He's saying to this Corinthian church, those parts that you think are dispensable, those parts that you don't think matter, that appear, that seem to be weak by your estimation, are actually indispensable. You cannot do without them. You cannot do without them. And then because of that, every member needs to be honored. He goes on and he says, and those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow greater honor. Because every part of the body is necessary to accomplish the mission of the church. We must think of ourselves as an interdependent body. We must think of ourselves as needing all the other parts, as wanting to be involved with all the other parts, as engaged with all the other parts. Or we can never accomplish the mission that Christ is calling his church to. And finally, one more reality of the body that I want to make sure we focus on. The last one is that the body is unified. Look back at verse 24. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it. What's his reason for doing this? That there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. The last descriptor of this body is it ought to be unified. In fact, the way Paul describes this, he's actually saying that the unity comes from the diversity in the body, which is contrary to the way we intuitively think. We think we're going to get along best with those people who are just like us, those people that look like us, those people that talk like us, those people that act like us. And he says the unity actually comes from the diversity The unity actually comes from what we share in spite of how we're different. That's that text in Ephesians 4 that David Watson read earlier. But every member must be unified. Every member must seek to be unified. There may be no division in the body. These schisms, these schismata that we keep talking about in 1 Corinthians saying part of the problem is that you don't think you need each other. If you recognize that you need each other, you would work to be unified, And in addition to be unified, every member needs to care, but that the members may have the same care for one another, concern, interest. It is so easy, particularly in a church our size, to walk in, to sit down, and to walk back out and never interact with any other person in the church. He says, every part must care about the other parts. So that every part, every member may be sympathetic. I love verse 26. Ask yourself this question, is this true of me? If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. See, this was the problem in Corinth, right? When one member was suffering, the rest of them were indifferent. When one member was honored, the rest of them were jealous. And that's just as true of us today, isn't it? It's so easy to look at someone else that's going through a hard time and say, I don't know that I have the emotional bandwidth to deal with that problem. I don't have the emotional bandwidth or time to deal with this issue. And then when somebody's doing really well, do we find ourselves going, praise the Lord? Or do we find ourselves going, why isn't that me? Why didn't God give that to me? If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. And then one final time, just to make sure we're listening, verse 27, now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. It Just in case you've been missing my illustration, this entire time, all of this interdependence in the body, all this eyes and ears and hands and heads and feet and all of this, that's you. That's the body you are the body of Jesus Christ. Now, it's important to note here that when he says this, you are the body, he is speaking of a corporate reality more than an individual reality. We tend to think of you are the body of Christ. We think, well, I am the body of Christ. No, we are the body of Christ. Saying you together, the members working in harmony, recognizing that every member is indispensable and every member is interdependent and every member must be honored and every member must be unified and every member must be moving in the same direction, you are the body of Jesus Christ. Our sense of belonging will grow as we foster a unity, an honor, and a care for every other part of the body. We tend to think that the biggest thing that's stopping us from feeling like we belong is an internal, navel-gazing sort of attitude. If I can just figure out who I really am and find the group of people that fits me perfectly, then I'll belong. And Paul here, God here, through Paul, says, no, the key to your belonging is to recognize that you are a part of a diverse body, that you need other people to take the focus off of you and put it on those around you. That's the key to your belonging. You want to grow in your sense of belonging, foster this unity and honor and care for every other part of the body. This is it's so hard for us, though, especially with our American mindset. We must work to proactively reject the natural human tendency to divide into cultural subgroups, to just hang out with people that look like us, to just hang out with people that understand us, to just hang out with people that are just like us, And we have probably all witnessed in the church. We may have witnessed it here at Faith Bible Church. Wealthy people avoid poor people. Poor people don't know how to respond to wealthy people. Young people avoid older people. And older people don't know how to approach younger people. Socially adept people avoid those that are less social in their approximation. Those with children avoid those without children. Those without children avoid those with children. Marrieds avoid singles and singles avoid married. And we think if we just find people that are just like us, then we'll find a sense of belonging and we'll fit. These things should not be true of us. Brothers and sisters, if we are called to be a part of the same family, if we are called to be a part of the unity of the body, we cannot let these physical differences divide us. We cannot look at other people and go, because you don't look like me, you are not a part of this body. Because you don't act like me or you're not in the same life stage as me, I can't spend time with you. I don't understand you. If we share relationship to the head, we understand each other. It may not be easy. It may be uncomfortable. It may require you to risk being weird as you go down the aisle to talk to somebody who you don't normally talk to, but it's necessary for the body to function correctly. Instead, we ought to proactively foster a knowledge, a love, and a care for every other member. And as a church, as we seek to move forward as a church, this means we must seek to be united and to move together. It's so easy as a church to have all these different parts that are not really talking to each other and are all operating in their own fields and doing their own thing. And as we seek to move one direction, there's another part left behind. Well, imagine the functionality of your body if you were sitting in the kitchen. You're like, well, I left my hand in the living room. It doesn't work. The body has to move together. The body must be unified. The body must go the same direction or the body falls apart, literally. It also means that we must be present and active in each other's lives. You can't get to know and care about someone who you never see. You can't get to know and care about someone who you never talk to. We must seek to be present and active with the body of Jesus Christ. And as we seek to foster that affinity for the body, as we seek to grow in that, our sense of belonging to the body will grow as well. And finally, Paul puts an exclamation point on this whole discussion. He moves back to the more practical aspect of what the church needs to do, and we see our final point. Belonging grows when we embrace our unique ministry to Christ's body. When we embrace our unique ministry to Christ's body. We see this in this final section, verse 28 through 31. Now, I don't have a tremendous amount of time to talk through these individual gifts, but let me just read this section. And Paul highlights eight ministries, eight gifts within the body that he has in mind, 28 through 30. And God has appointed in the church, first apostles second prophet, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongue. Are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret Okay, now I'm going to go through these real quickly. I'm going to seek to define some of these to help you understand what he is referring to. Bear in mind what my dad talked about last week as far as these motivational gifts from Romans 12. And read these in light of the way God can opt to minister through us within the church. First, he speaks of apostles. God has appointed in the church first apostles. Now, there was an official role of apostle in the first century those that had been with Jesus those that had a unique authority i don't think that's primarily what he has in mind here that term gets used more generically in other places in scripture i think this is the divine enablement to start churches and cross cultural ministries it's that beachhead ministry of starting something new of beginning a new endeavor to a people that would otherwise not have the opportunity to hear the gospel so he speaks to those that are enabled to do that he speaks to prophets The divine enablement to proclaim God's truth with power and clarity and timeliness. To say, thus saith the Lord. We'll talk more about this when we get to chapter 14, so I'll address that more there. Thirdly, teachers. This divine gifting to seek out, to understand, and to explain truth. There are some in the body that are just Bible nerds. We should all seek to love the Word of God, but there are some that are just a little overboard, right? They can sit in their study for like eight hours, and we're like, are you going to eat today? If that's you, more power to you. But there's that ability that God gifts, that ministry that God gifts to some in the church. And then we get to some more divisive ones, I get it, but let's try and define these miracles. That's the divine ability to serve as an instrument for God's supernatural power, to authenticate the message and open gospel doors. Again, if you want to have a discussion about whole cessationist or non-cessationist discussion, I'm happy to have that afterward. I don't have time to go into it up front here. But God chooses at times to perform miracles through his people. Healing goes along with that. The divine ability to serve as an instrument for God's supernatural physical healing of people. These do not guarantee. None of this handicaps God and says, you must operate by my power. We don't have the authority to tell the head how he must operate. So don't hear that Neither one of these. But this sometimes happens. Helping, the divine ability to enhance the ministry effectiveness of others, to come alongside someone and help their ministry, to move their ministry forward, and to come alongside to bring helps as well. Administrating, I don't like this term too much. The the literal term is the idea of steering a ship. Administrating makes it feel kind of like bookkeepers, but the idea here is more. The divine ability to guide the church, to implement plans, to pursue goals, and to pursue the vision that God has given the church. And then, lastly, tongues, the divine ability to speak spiritual truth in languages never learned. And there's two things I want to note real quickly about this. First of all, this comes back up in chapter 14 as Paul addresses tongues specifically, so I'll define it more when we get to that. But the other thing I want to note is that Paul lists tongues last. That is not an accident this church was infatuated with tongues. They were convinced that this was the one gift, that if you couldn't have any other gifts, you had to have tongues. And Paul says, just in case you're curious, I'm going to put that one last. Just so you understand what I'm talking about here, it's not about one gift. Now, do you see how these gifts, these ministries could be trouble? All the parts are complaining about each other in the church in Corinth. The church starters are complaining about those with administration. Because they're like, how are you slowing me down? I'm trying to do my ministry, and I'm trying to get going. And the administrators are going, well, I'm just trying to get things organized. They're pointing fingers at each other. Those with helps are frustrated that the teachers and preachers just want to talk all the time. They're like, why can't we just do something already? Let me do something. And all you want to do is talk. And the preachers and teachers are like, well, we're declaring the gospel, you know. Everyone's fighting over miracles and healings, and they're jealous of the gift of tongues, saying, I wish I had that one. It's pure chaos. Ministries, gifts, running around the church without unity, without organization, without submission to Christ's headship is chaos. It's madness. And you're also worried about your own individual ministries. You're totally oblivious to what Christ is trying to do through your church. And he reminds them, they're not all apostles. they're not all prophets. They're not all teachers, workers of miracles, healing, tongues, interpretation. He says, "God chooses our gift. God chooses our roles. God chooses how our gifts will be used in the church. We don't get to be possessive of those things. But we shouldn't ignore or be jealous of other people's gifts either. And we can be guilty of that. Like, I wish I had that gift. I wish God had given me something else. Why does he choose to work in me and through me this way? Verse 31 puts a bit of an exclamation point on this whole text, but it also functions as a pivot verse. So let me just give you a couple of things about verse 31. We'll come back to these again next week as we head into chapter 13 as well. But Paul lists two key motivations for our gifts. In addition to these ministries that our gifts are supposed to work in, he gives us motivations for our gifts. He says, verse 31, But earnestly desire the higher gifts, and I will show you a still more excellent way. Again, we'll explain this more later, but I think he has in mind two things. First of all, the desire should be first and foremost for corporate edification. The desire should be that the church is edified, that the church is built up, not that I am glorified through the ministry of my gift. And second, the still more excellent way that he has in mind is chapter 13, love. We've been waiting for 13 chapters to come to chapter 13 and the chapter on love, and you see how it has nothing to do with marriage? Chapter 13 is the still more excellent way that we are to be motivated by when we exercise our gifts. We'll talk about that more when we get to it next week. But the point is that our sense of belonging grows as we embrace the unique ministry God has given us in his church. God has assigned each one of us a role, and as we embrace that and as we use it for the edification of everyone else, our sense of belonging in the church grows as well. And this should probably go without saying, but a couple of practical things on this subject. The first is that that means that no one has every gift. None of us are Superman, and we have every ability and every gift, and we don't need any other believers in the church. It doesn't exist. Secondarily, it means we need every other gift. We need each other. In order to be refined, in order to be matured, you need every other member of the body. What are you doing to proactively give to and receive from the other gifts in the body? As a church, this is part of the reason that we seek to encourage every member to minister. One of our core values as a church is unleashing the gifts. We seek to help people discover and apply their spiritual gifts in the church. That's why we're offering a class on spiritual gifts. Because that we believe that we are not fulfilling our purpose as a church if everyone is not ministering out of their gift. And that does not mean that everyone has to be engaged in a formal program of the church. But everyone has to be engaging their gift within the ministry of the church. In order for us to do what God is calling us to. We must learn to embrace the unique ministry that God has given us and God has given other people in the church. What's the point? What is Paul on about here? What is the point that he is trying to make? Key point for this week. Following Christ means valuing all the members of his body. Not some of the members of his body. Not the members of the body we like. Not the members of the body that look like us. Not the members of the body that do the same things we do. Not the members of the body that are in the same life stage as us. It means valuing all the members of his body. We will never have a sense of belonging in a body that we do not value. You will never feel like you belong in the body of Christ without valuing the way he has made his body. I tell people all the time when I was overseeing small group ministry in the church, commitment precedes community. More often than not, we look around saying, who am I and how do I find something that fits me? And then we get frustrated because other people don't fit perfectly with us. Well, maybe that's the point. Committing to a group of people leads to community with that group of people. If you want to belong, you must first recognize your unmerited membership in Christ's body, that you did not earn your position in Christ's church. You must learn to celebrate the God-given diversity of Christ's body. He didn't make everyone like you, and he did that on purpose. It's actually a good thing in his church. You must foster an indispensable affinity for Christ's body. Say, what can I do that will make me grow in my love and knowledge of the other people who are in this body as well? And lastly, embrace your unique ministry in Christ's body. Say, how might God use me? How might I be dependent upon Christ? to serve the people he's placed in this body with me. One more thing, and then I'll wrap up. I love the way Diedrich Bonhoeffer puts this in his book, Life Together. Hear this. Just as the Christian should not be constantly feeling his spiritual pulse, so too the Christian community has not been given to us by God for us to be constantly taking its temperature. The more thankfully we receive or daily receive what is given to us, the more surely and steadily will fellowship increase and grow from day to day as God pleases. And then this, Christian brotherhood is not an ideal which must be realized or which we we must realize. It is rather a reality created by God in Christ in which we may participate. God has made this body and has offered and invited us to participate in it It's not an ideal that we must seek to constantly be realizing. It is a reality that God has made that we get the incredible privilege to participate in. Let's pray. Father, it's so easy to get frustrated with gifts that don't look like us in the body. It's so easy to look at other people and go, why don't they think the way we do? Why don't they act the way we do? Why don't they value the same things we do? But it's so humbling to recognize that that's exactly the way you design the body. You've called each and every one of us to work out our ministry, to work out our gifting in the church, for, to pursue spiritual maturity so we don't other, hurt other people doing it. But you have given this body unique gifts, unique abilities, unique opportunities to minister. Help us to value those. Help us to celebrate them. Help us to seek to foster a love and a care and an affection and a unity with each other. And Lord, remind us that we are just a small part of the greater body of Jesus Christ too. Help us to remember to pray for the other churches that are in our neighborhood that are seeking to fulfill the gospel ministry as well. Help us to pray for those believers that are around the world who we may never meet but are also a part of your body. Lord, help us to be just staggered and humbled by this incredible reality of the body of Jesus Christ that you've given us an opportunity to be a part of. You've meant it for our good. You've meant it for your glory. Help us to pursue that with all we have. In Jesus' name, amen.